Hi everybody, this is Carrie Mercer with another episode of Christmas Book Review. This is episode four, and I'll tell you the three books that I reviewed for this episode were Seven Days of Us by Francesca Hornock, which I gave a seven out of ten. I really enjoy that one. The next one is Sue Cook's Christmas Cross-Stitch Collection, which I gave a 9 out of 10. I really loved this book. Um, it's very inspiring, and I copied a couple of the designs out of it because I'm hoping to tackle them soon myself. The third book was called Christmas Cake Murder, and that one I gave a 6 out of 10. I uh, didn't like it so much. So, let's get into the details of each book. The first book, Seven Days of Us, by Francesca Hornock, published by Penguin Random House in 2017. And like I said, I gave this one a 7 out of 10. It's kind of a rich people problems book, which is a category I've heard described by Rebecca on one of my favorite podcasts called Book Riot rich people problems. So if you're somebody who likes to read rich people problems books, you probably like this. So this is about a family called the Birches. They live in England and they're preparing for an unusual family Christmas get together at Wayfield Hall, which is their country estate in Camden. So Emma Birch is the mother in this family and she inherited Wayfield Hall from her parents. And so because of the connection to her childhood, she doesn't want anything updated or changed in the house, even as the place starts looking shabbier and shabbier. And no one but her is actually really comfortable here, but everyone else in the family kind of humors her and they don't want to say anything that will upset her. Andrew is the father in the Birch family, and he is a restaurant critic who's sort of pining for his glory days as a war correspondent, uh, which he had to quit at the insistence of his wife when they started having children. And he still is kind of bitter about having to quit that life. So, Andrew and Emma have two adult daughters, Phoebe, who is in her 20s, and she is obsessed with planning her wedding as the story takes place, because she's finally gotten engaged after being with her boyfriend, George, for six years. And the other daughter is Olivia, who is a doctor and she has been treating patients in Liberia for an epidemic of the hog virus, which is a deadly strain of hepatitis that is spreading and killing people. I actually looked this up, and it is a real thing. And the year this book was published, in 2017, it was actually a big problem and was spreading in this area of the world. So that was kind of interesting. Olivia has been intimate with Sean, another doctor she works with in Liberia, 
which was really not allowed because of the work they're doing, because they could spread the virus potentially, but they decided to get together anyway. And so they're keeping it a secret and they're going to keep the secret until they've been cleared of having the virus, which takes seven days. So meanwhile, they are supposed to quarantine themselves. And since Olivia is going home, the whole family is required to stay in quarantine and not leave the house for seven days. Sean is supposed to be going off to his home in Ireland, probably to do the same thing. The other major character is Jesse, who is the illegitimate child of Andrew from a one-nighter with a woman he met in Liberia when he was a war correspondent. So Jesse's mother gave him up for adoption when he was a baby, and he was raised in California, and now he's interested in meeting his birth father. So he sent several emails to Andrew and has actually flown out to Camden, supposedly to research the area for a documentary he's making, because he is a documentary filmmaker. But really, he's there hoping to meet Andrew. And so he's waiting to hear back from these emails that he sent. So because this is really a story about relationships, there's alternating points of view between different characters for each chapter. And I felt like that worked really well. We want to know what's going on in everyone's heads, especially because they're all keeping secrets. Sean is supposed to catch a connecting flight from Heathrow to Dublin, but he actually never makes it out of Heathrow. He falls sick in the airport, and he actually literally falls, and so he's brought to a hospital and ends up making national news because he's caught the hog virus, despite working in full PPE, which stands for personal protective equipment, which is like a hazmat suit in the description. Of course, Olivia sees this news and she's desperate to see Sean to be with him, but she can't do that and she can't tell anyone and she has no way of contacting him because he's in quarantine and doesn't have access to a laptop or even his cell phone. And he's probably not even conscious. So she keeps obsessively checking the news on her laptop to find out what's happening with Sean. And it's really annoying to her sister because she does it even as their opening presents on Christmas. Olivia is also suffering from kind of a culture shock being back in England after coming from the third world back to first world problems. It's like everything just seems so trivial to her, which makes her a bit holier than thou with her sister, and especially with her sister's wedding plans. So Phoebe accidentally, and I'm using air quotes, finds out that her mother Emma has just been diagnosed with cancer. So that's Emma's secret. And Emma makes her agree not to tell anyone else because she doesn't want to supposedly ruin 
Christmas for everyone. She wants everyone to be happy. So Emma's other unspoken reason is that she doesn't want to think about what having cancer could mean for her and her daughters. Basically, she wants to play pretend for Christmas as if everything is fine. And so let's talk about Andrew. He's trying to figure out what to do about these emails that he's gotten from Jesse, which he has so far not answered. He's really hoping this secret will just disappear. Yeah, again, in denial, like his wife. And he's hoping that Jesse will just go away if he doesn't answer. The problem is, Andrew was with this woman, Layla, while he and Emma were already together. They weren't married yet, but they were definitely together in a relationship. So he doesn't want Emma to know about Jesse because he feels like it will hurt her knowing that he was with another woman while they were already in a relationship. And he doesn't want Phoebe, his daughter, to know because he feels like, and he's right, that Phoebe worships him like a hero. So Phoebe's secret is a little more complicated because it's something she's trying not to admit even to herself. It's exposed a bit when she's disappointed with George's Christmas present to her, which is just some jewelry that's not in her style, which she feels like George should know by now after being with her for six years. And she doesn't like her engagement ring either, but she's not telling anyone that. The problem is, even though they've been dating for six years, they don't really seem to be suited to each other at all, and they don't seem to know each other very well either. So the question is, can they all improve their relationships with each other and reveal their secrets and still get support from their family members? That seems to be the big overriding theme. And as far as it being Christmassy or not, I think it kind of is because it's about family coming together and reconnecting. And also it's about the power of ritual and how it can help us get through a crisis. Sometimes that's what Christmas is about. I mean, it's definitely about ritual and it can also be a time for family to kind of reconnect and strengthen those relationships. I found the ending of this book a bit harsh, um, just the very end, but otherwise I really liked it pretty well. I felt like I could connect with the characters and I did really care about what happened to each one of them. I feel like the author really fleshed out the characters very well. So overall, I'm giving this a 7 out of 10. I would definitely recommend it. So the second book is Sue Cook's Christmas Cross-Stitch Collection. Blah, that's hard to say five times fast. It's by Sue Cook, obviously. Published by David and Charles, which is a UK publisher I wasn't familiar with, but seems to be pretty big. It was published in 2005, and I'm giving it a 9 out of 10 because... I really liked it. I felt like there was a lot of projects I could do in here. I would classify myself as an advanced beginner 
in cross stitch and I felt like I could do any of these. Um, it'll probably take me longer than most experienced cross stitchers, but I did feel like they were definitely doable. It's a really gorgeous book and I felt like it captured the spirit of Christmas really well in traditional as well as modern motifs. It's in full color. The charts are really easy to read and they're big enough to read so you don't have to, you know, copy them and enlarge them, which is always a pain. She's also got all the DMC colors, which is the most popular, I think it's the most popular um, brand of embroidery floss, which you use to do cross stitch. It's also got a conversion chart for DMC to anchor, which I guess is another popular embroidery thread. So there's instructions for the large projects that give you not only the project size of the cloth, but the design size and the stitch count as well, so that you can figure out a different size cloth if you want to use a smaller count cloth or only use part of the design. Now, I know if you're not a cross-stitcher, this probably sounds like a different language to you, but basically what I'm saying is it's really easy to use. Um, she makes it adaptable for different projects because sometimes you'll find a project in a craft book that you want to do, but you don't want to use it for the same thing that the author has suggested. And so th this book makes it really easy to do that. So the front cover claims that there's over a hundred festive designs. So I actually went through and counted and here's what I came up with. There's six large designs, which are like two page charts. There's 10 medium sized designs, which is like a half page to one full page chart. And there's 158 small motifs. Plus, there are six different alphabets in the back, uh, like the frosty alphabet, which has got icy snow-covered letters, and the fairy lights alphabet, which has every letter strung with little Christmas lights. And I know some people uh, call those small lights, fairy lights. So yeah, it's definitely uh, got over a hundred designs, way more than a hundred really. Okay, so if you look in the table of contents, there's six main chapters, each with a different theme, and each one has one large project with a two-page full-color chart, and then several pages of smaller motifs all following that theme for that chapter. Like the first chapter is traditional Christmas and the large project is a full stocking. The medium project is a square design of holly and ivy leaves with the text, the holly and the ivy. And it's got smaller motifs of stockings, topiary, wreaths, candles, angels, singing choristers, and several birds. The second chapter is Victorian Christmas, which has a large project that's a tree that's lit with candles instead of electric lights. 
And it's got smaller motifs of fans, hearts, presents, garlands, a Victorian woman's high-heeled boot, which, okay, that, I just have to say, that's so dumb. I hate it when a, a shoe is supposed to be a symbol that means woman, and it's usually a high-heeled shoe. Well, I am totally against high-heeled shoes because they ruin your back. So, bleh, I don't like that. It's like a tie supposed to be a symbol for a man. Nobody wears ties anymore unless they're working at some fancy place. Anyway, I just don't like those those particular symbols. So I wouldn't be using that one. This chapter also has a menorah, which is nice. I mean, that's Hanukkah, not Christmas. But I'm going to say it's probably harder to find Hanukkah cross-stitch motifs than Christmas. There's probably tons more Christmas designs out there. There's also a fireplace and a hurricane lamp. There's half a dozen different Victorian houses, which I really love. They make me think of the um, the old houses in San Francisco that you see pictures of. Um, I think they call them painted ladies. And there's also a snow-covered medium-sized design with a heart border. There's medium designs of the words hearts come home at Christmas. And you know, the the words are all in different fonts. It looks really fun together. And some of those designs also remind me of Mary Englebright designs. And I know I've mentioned Mary Englebright before in this podcast. I think it was in episode one. Um, I just happen to be a big Mary Englebright fan. She was really big in the 90s and I think the early 2000s. And so I still like a lot of her stuff. I actually made a quilt for my mom out of Mary Englebright fabrics. Okay, so the third chapter is called The Spirit of Christmas. And this has a large design that is of two angels blowing trumpets over the nativity scene below that's in silhouette. And that one's really pretty. There's also more angels in this chapter, of course. There's a bunch of different stained glass windows, and there's a couple different designs of three wise men. The next chapter is on winter wonderland. So, of course, there's lots of different snow designs, including designs with snowmen playing on sleds in the snow. Uh, there's penguins, which... I Why are penguins Christmas? I don't know. Just because they often live in cold places? whatever. There's also bears in winter gear, and there are some really cute little Eskimo boy and girl motifs. There's a snow globe. I love snow globes. There's a lighthouse, and there's a big Santa stop here sign that's pointing to a chimney. The next chapter is Santa and Friends. It has a large design with Santa and two reindeer flying over snow, a snow-covered town. I guess it would have been too big if there was eight reindeer. There's 24 small motifs that are all the same size, so that so that's really convenient because then you can use them for the suggested project, which is an advent calendar. There's also half a dozen different styles of Santa. 
There's several toys, like a rocking horse, a doll, a teddy bear, a train. And there's four designs that look like a little kid drew them, or that's what they're supposed to look like. The last chapter is the Feast of Christmas, and of course this revolves around food. The large design is a gingerbread house with a candy cane border, and this was my favorite in the book. I actually copied this one out, and I'm hoping to make it myself. There's also several smaller gingerbread cookie motifs. There are several designs for use on presents that are food like a homemade label, some other cute little words like contains 100% love or fresh from my kitchen. And they're all kind of mix and match. You can use them as they are or kind of cut them apart and put them with something else. And you can make them into borders around, like around a jar. Just keep repeating the motif until it goes all the way around, that kind of thing. And another feature in each chapter is a different way to use the completed cross-stitch designs. There are suggestions for greeting cards, tree ornaments, a tree topper, which I think was the angel, one of the angels, um, potpourri sachets, a bell pole, which does anybody make those anymore? I don't know. Seems kind of old for when people had servants. I guess some people probably still have servants. Ah, oh, what else? Okay, gift tags, jam jar labels, like I was just explaining, all kinds of stuff. So finally, in the back, there is some more information on details of creating these projects from the designs. So one of the really useful things I found in the back was instructions on how to stiffen the fabric with PVA glue after you complete the cross-stitch design and before you cut it out, which I thought was really useful so that then you're, it, it makes it easier to cut it out if it's stiffer. And also it can prevent fraying on the sides of the fabric. There's also considerations on how to change the fabric. Like if you want to do a different color with the design that you've chosen. Because I noticed like, the gingerbread house that I really liked, they actually used a yellow fabric instead of white, and it really went well with the brown of the gingerbread. So just little things like that. I thought this was a really great book for a new cross-stitcher. It's got all the information you need to get started making either small designs or really big ones. Big thumbs up for that book. The next book... It's called The Christmas Cake Murder by Joanna Fluke. This was published by Kensington, and it was published in 2018. It's one of those books that's got a bunch of recipes in it, even though it's fiction. So I gave it a 6 out of 10, mostly for the recipes, which I thought looked pretty good for the most part, and really easy to do. So this is the newest book in a series called Hannah Swenson. Hannah is the daughter in this story. It seems like it revolves more around the mother, Dolores, but whatever. Hannah gets her name on the series. 
So the story is that Hannah has come home from college and she is staying with her mother. Her mother, Dolores, is depressed and she has been sleeping all day, most days, because her husband just died three weeks previous. She doesn't want to do anything. She doesn't seem to enjoy anything, which seems normal. So a couple people come to visit and try to draw Dolores out of her funk. And their names are Grandma Knudsen and Annie. And they understand that Dolores might feel like enjoying life is now a betrayal to her dead husband, which I can understand. That makes sense sometimes for grief. And so they are trying to come up with a plan And they explain this plan to Hannah. And their idea is that if they give Dolores something to do that she won't really enjoy, but she will feel obligated to do, that that will work. So their idea is to cheer up an older lady, Essie, who's been a volunteer all her life in this town and has contributed to many people's lives. She's just broken her hip, and she's been in the hospital. She's still in the hospital, but she's been told by her doctor that she can't live in her current home anymore because of the stairs, and you know, because she has a broken hip. And so they get Dolores to agree that she will plan and help run a Christmas ball and Christmas cake parade, which is something that the town used to do when Dolores's parents were alive and Essie remembers very fondly and wishes could be recreated. So I liked some of the author's ideas about how grief works. I could relate to them having had relatives of my own who've died. And I liked this way of getting someone to do something to get them out of their funk it's well known that the best, one of the best ways to feel better when you are grieving is to help someone else. So I liked that. That being said, it's kind of unbelievable that Doris would just immediately shed her deep depression and jump into not only this project, but just life in general. It just seems too easy. It's not really believable. She suddenly has an appetite and she eats everything Hannah cooks and she wants seconds and she's cheerful. I mean, come on, kind of overdid it there. One of her ideas I did like about grief was dealing with reminders of the person who's gone now. Dolores explains that, quote, Sometimes I feel a greater sense of loss when I don't see him sitting in the living room or puttering around with his woodworking out in the garage. At other times, the memory of our life there makes me happy, unquote. So she's still trying to figure out if she wants to keep her house that she's lived in with her husband for so long, or if she wants to sell it because it's got so many memories of her dead husband. And I felt like that was a really realistic idea about grief and probably something a lot of readers could relate to. The thing 
that I really did not like about this book is that her writing style is really boring. It's boring because she details every little thing, things we really don't need to know. She doesn't seem to skip anything. Okay, so let me just read you a little example of Fluke's writing to see if you agree with me that it's boring. Okay, so they are about to start this Christmas cake parade, and this is the beginning of chapter 17. Hannah smiled as she came into the hotel kitchen with Cliff. Michelle and Lisa were staging the cake parade in a line that wound snake-like around the edges of the huge counters and appliances that filled the room. Oh, look, Hannah said to Cliff. Lisa and Michelle have already lined everyone up with the cakes they're going to carry. Cliff looked amazed as he surveyed the long line of cakes. I mean, it's just redundant. Okay, you already said that everyone was wound up holding their cakes, and then somebody has to say it in dialogue? Come on, let's keep moving. So that's just an example. You can decide whether or not I'm right. Another thing that I find tiresome about Fluke's writing is her humor. It's so overdone. Like, there's a fruitcake joke. And there's a joke about somebody being pregnant and craving pickles and ice cream. I mean, come on. So the mystery is really, I mean, this is supposed to be sort of a mystery book, but it's more that the mystery is a story within the story. The mystery part of this mystery is inside a story within the story of the book. It's a mystery novel that Essie started writing years ago and never finished. And these people who are helping Essie um, are getting, they're like getting stuff from her house to bring to her in the hospital. And they kind of nose around in her stuff, I thought. And so they, one of them finds this mystery that Essie started writing and she just starts reading it before they even ask her if it's okay to read. Kind of nosy. Then they start, after they talk to Essie, they decide they're going to all read it. And one of them reads it aloud to the rest of them. Uh, so you'd have to be a real bonehead not to see the mystery and unravel it before the characters do. Uh, maybe I'm being harsh, but that's how I felt. Okay, so let's talk about the recipes. The recipes, most of them sound really good, and the directions are very thorough and easy to follow, uh, even for a total beginner cook, which I really appreciated because I'm one of those people that while I'm cooking, I obsessively read the directions over and over because I'm afraid I'm going to do it wrong. I know, it's a personal problem. Anyway, I'm just saying, it'll be easy to follow these recipes. There are 14 of them. There's 12 desserts and two main dishes. The cocoa crunch cookies was my favorite one, or at least my favorite sounding one. I might actually copy that one and try it. It's like chocolate shortbread, but with a crunch 
provided by mashed up potato chips. Eh, sounds like it'd be worth a shot. Because I kind of like that idea of sweet and salty at the same time. And I love crunchy in a cookie. I hate soft cookies. Bleh. <laughs> One of them I thought was kind of extreme. It's Ultimate Butterscotch Bunt Cake. And it has butterscotch pudding mix and butterscotch chips in it. Makes my blood sugar go crazy just reading the recipe. So overall, I kind of enjoyed this book, but I also found it really tiresome. Because it, it felt just so shallow. Most of the action is about eating. And when the characters do have emotional moments, I can't really empathize with them. I'm just not invested in them because they don't seem real. Okay, so that's going to do it for this episode. And I just want to thank everybody who's been listening. And a special thanks goes out to Brian Earle, who gave me a review, my first review on iTunes, which was really sweet. And I'm so glad he enjoyed it because he does one of my favorite Christmas podcasts called Christmas Past. I'll put a link to his show in my show notes so you can find that. I also got a shout out from Dwayne at Tinsel Tunes, which is a Christmas podcast about Christmas music. So I want to thank him for that. And I will put a link to Tinsel Tunes in my show notes as well. So thanks everybody for listening. If you have any ideas uh, for books I should read and review, please feel free to email me. It's at christmasbookreview at gmail.com, or there's a link in the show notes as well to that. I did get one email, my first fan email, from Art, suggesting a series of books that I should look into for young adults. So I'll be checking that out and sharing that with you soon, I hope. Thanks again. See you next time, and happy reading.